0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast brought to you by Telefunken Electroacoustic Telefunken Electroacoustic has been following the tradition of excellence and innovation set forth by the original Telefunken GMBH of Germany that began over 100 years ago with one foot rooted in the rich history of the brand and the other in new microphone innovations for both stage and studio applications. Telefunk and Electro-Acoustic is recognized as one of the industry leaders in top quality microphones. For more info, go to
1: t-funk.com. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Hello everybody. This episode is brought to you by Ultimate Guitar Production, the most detailed, in-depth course ever created about guitars. The course is taught by Andrew Wade, who you may know from one of his three appearances on Nail the Mix or work with bands like A Day to Remember, The Ghost Inside, Wage War, or Neck Deep, and it covers everything, and I mean everything. It's over 100 videos that cover every single step of the guitar production process, setting up the guitar, choosing the right amp, cabs, mics, the right way to track guitars, editing, reamping, mixing, and more. He puts it all together by dialing tones for indie pop, rock pop, punk, and metal, and there's actually way, way, way more than what I just told you, but I'm out of time. If you want to see all of it and get a sneak preview of the content, go to ultimateguitarproduction.com and prepare to have your mind blown. Welcome to the podcast. This episode's cool because I am in Denmark and just have a unique opportunity because... Normally, on these Nail the Mix sessions, we don't have any guests, but this time we not only have the mixer, Mr. Jacob Hansen, but the band showed up. We've never had a full band show up. Um, you know, we've had the odd musician, uh, but both the band, Discarnate, showed up and their manager, uh, Mr. Chris Adler, who you probably know as now legendary. Metal drummer. We had them here for the whole session, and you know they all have very, very unique insight. And the reason I wanted to bring them on was because if you've heard the Discarnate mix, you know that it's pummeling, crushing all those all those words that we use for awesome metal mixes. But the recording itself, not to talk any shit, it's just DIY style, um, bare bones. Uh, very basic, and it does not sound at all like what the final product ended up being. And this is very relevant to most of you, because most of you don't have million-dollar studios, or even hundred-thousand-dollar studios, or even fifty-thousand or ten-thousand-dollar studios. A lot of you have minimal means, and this is a testament to the fact that with modern recording technology, if you make the right choices, you can end up with a great mix. But how to do that, like I said, involves making the right choices, and that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to shut up. Here's the episode. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast. My guests today are Jacob Hansen, Chris Adler, and Tom, Matt, and Al from Discarnate. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, uh, let's get right to it. I wanted to talk about something that for me as a mixer and Jacob as a mixer is a very real thing which is having to mix stuff that was not recorded in the most ideal fashion and I'm sure you'll agree that there's times when you can work with it and times when you can't and there you know there's times when you can make it sound just as sick as or close to as sick as something that was recorded in you know, high production, everything great. Um, There's times where it's better to just (laughs) tell the band to throw it away, start over, Um, come to you next time. I'm just curious, just in a broad sense, what are some of the dead giveaways when you get something from a band that went DIY? What are some of the dead giveaways that you will be able to work with it?
2: I mean, if the drums are done in a way that that is not, I mean, they haven't destroyed it with something they thought was cool, some weird mic placement or, you know, just went pretty standard with with everything, then then I'm normally going to work with it. But there are so many things that can happen, you know, with DIs from guitars and bass, you know, um, vocals can be destroyed. By something, choosing a weird mic that doesn't fit the singer or In a weird room. Oh yes, oh yeah people standing far away from mics because they, they don't know how to record really and who can blame them if they're just <laughs> quote unquote musicians you you know, they don't know how to record and, and that's the thing, you know
1: So uh, Jacob, what was it about the way that the Discarnet tracks were delivered that made you realize that you could work with it. You could put your name on it. What? What was it?
2: Yeah, I think some some thought went into the recordings before they even started. I, I think they even had some help from somebody who knew uh, what to do and 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 what not to do. So so everything was working really well. They did some 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 great choices and 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 they didn't try to be uh, producing at that spot you know trying out crazy things uh, they just went with you know pretty natural sounding things and and uh, which is good so i had you know clean great tracks to, to work with you know it's it's interesting one of the things
1: that i've always told people i guess just some good wisdom is you know if you don't have a good drum room or small room then the best thing you can do is to try to take the room out of the equation. For instance, when you're recording drums, um, make it make everything as clean as possible, and don't it, don't let your scenario influence you. Like you said, you deliver the good DIs. Don't go crazy. Don't try to experiment in a shitty space with shitty gear.
2: No, just exactly. get
1: the get the basics and get those right.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: So, for this, um, for people who didn't watch Nail the Mix, it it was a bare-bones recording, but if you hear the final, there's nothing bare-bones about it. It sounds massive, but, I mean, it was just a kick trigger, um, snare top and bottom, tom mics, tom top mics, um, two overheads, I think, hat ride china, Right, and
2: then yeah, no, you not even no. not even well, overheads and uh, I believe a hi hat and a ride right mic, as far as I remember, yeah. yeah,
1: and no rooms, no, which I mean, it goes back to the whole thing about if it's a crappy room, yeah, just find another way to do it.
2: Totally, that made perfect sense. Otherwise, I would just have you know thrown that room out the window, anyways, <laughs> you know, not using it. So
1: yeah. Yeah, and there's plenty of techniques you can use to create a fake room. Exactly. They delivered DI's. Were there amped tracks with it?
3: Maybe. No, maybe not. Oh, we yeah. sent over reference
1: tracks. There were some reference demo
4: guitars, but yeah. um, no actual pre-recorded no, no. guitar tones. Yeah.
1: You guys had the intention of having Jacob reamp it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that was discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, so you weren't precious about about your tones it was just you're sending it to jacob and let him do his thing
4: pretty much yeah we'd heard jacob's mixes before we knew what amps he had in the studio so we were pretty confident that he was going to deliver a tone that was on the same wavelength that we were thinking already so
1: so when you guys went in to record you just said that you knew what amps he had in the studio how much research did you do or talking back and forth did you do with jacob about how you know how to make this the best possible scenario?
4: Surprisingly, not actually too much communication with Jacob. You know, we've worked with him before on a previous album, but for this album, we pretty much sent all the stems to him. We had a few notes with the With the tracks, just had some ideas, but it was pretty basic stuff. And I think a lot of the stuff, we just let him fly with it and uh, put his own touch on it, and we went to wait to see what came back, you know?
5: I think like he said earlier on as well, because we didn't really do any production work on it at all, we literally just went, here is every tool that hopefully you could possibly need to achieve kind of what we've got in mind. You you take it and see what you can do with it, and then, yeah, we we delivered exactly
1: that. Sure, you've been in the exact opposite scenario where you get handed something that is less recorded in a less than ideal way, but where there's a bunch of production done and you don't get DI's and the drums aren't very easily replaced, yeah, um, where it just makes it really, really tough to work with.
2: Yeah, and it's some... I mean, you can't always tell that it's gonna be hard to work with. I mean, even though I'm in, in contact with many of the bands that are working you know, or producing their own things, recording their own stuff. It's it when they ask me, I'm of course I'm telling you or telling the bands, you know, this is what you can do and please don't do this and make sure this is working and and such. But but sometimes, you know, because there's no <laughs> professional involved most of the time. So there's no how how do you say quality guarantee or anybody who's looking over the tracks to check if is it actually working or is there crazy noise going into the GIs or because these people they they don't know most of them so so they just trust what they see you know on the screen and uh, yeah there's signal going into it but there might be 10 things wrong with that signal and it and it's uh, yeah you need to know things and it takes experience
1: so I mean, do any of you guys have any recording background, or you brought someone in to work with you?
5: Uh, a, a little bit, but uh, yeah, we did. We recorded all of the music with um, Stu McKay at Studio Six in Swindon, in the UK. So he was, uh, you know, he, he he is a professional and he's done that kind of thing before. Uh, and you know, he helped with well, you know, he kind of oversaw everything and made sure it, it was all good for for delivery. Because I know he does mixes as well for other people. So I guess he has the same experiences. He gets things delivered, which he can't work with sometimes or whatever but so he, he kind of knows what uh, what needs to be there for Jacob to do his job properly and yeah made sure it was all there
3: and we obviously went to him to book in and say we we've got a mix booked in with Jacob and we want some clean tones so it was all about getting the the real you know high quality clean DI signal from it because we had a couple of apps that we were referencing just to hear whether you got the right sort of Tone that the clean signal is is giving out, but uh,
1: so you, so that you had some DI's to reference from another recording or something.
3: No, no, we um obviously uh, we had our demos, but then we just went to him and sort of said we just want to get some cleans. You know, mm-hmm. I uh, think
5: he just ran an amp sim, didn't he at the yes, same time yeah, so yeah, so that we could gauge just so was... we could
3: hear, and then obviously just knowing that we were sending it off, so you know he was pretty pretty helpful,
1: really. So yeah. if I was to hire you and to mix, Jacob, and I said, I don't really have much of a studio, what do you need, right off the bat, what do you need in order to be able to work with this, Um, I have a thousand dollars, and not much, how do you need these files delivered?
2: Yeah, I, I actually have this, normally I have this list of things how to, you know, do, or how to deliver the files. To me, but the thing is that if you're inexperienced with recording, you know there are so many things that can go terribly wrong. (laughs) So um, I would always ask people, please make sure you bring in somebody who can help you with this. I mean, it's not enough just to go out and buy the gear. I've worked with so many people that you know we we end up they end up sending me four, five, six DI tests where everything is noisy and crazy and I'm t- uh, you know sometimes it ends up I need to Skype with people to see what what are they actually doing and I you know I see the craziest setup sometimes <laughs> which is actually fine it's not like everything is always wrong uh, it's not it's you know a lot of times it works but it's it's just so stressful for everyone if they deliver everything and the guitars can't be used i mean for a whole album that's just terrible and and terrible to to tell a client that sorry but everything you recorded is you know you gotta start all over (laughs) it's not a good scenario
1: so do you you make them send you tests in advance
2: they do that i ask for i -hmm. ask people to you know if it's people that i haven't worked with before i i normally ask them to to send me a di test if they're. Just the slightest bit in in doubt of how to record a a good DI uh, signal, so yeah. I do that too. I've
1: gone to the point of mailing a band a DI to work with, (laughs) because I didn't trust the one that they owned.
2: No, yeah, exactly. I had, you know, I I sent my whole vocal chain to a band at one time, you know, please use this, you know. Like the hardware? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, I mean... And it's fine. And I, 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 you know, if if it's people that can, you know, stop by, I'm totally fine with borrowing them my Avalon Di, you know, whatever. We we just gotta make this work. And and I'm I'm here to help because it's frustrating for me as well as as for them. But I mean, if it's people far away from here, it can be a little a uh, little bit harder to to help them. But I'm trying.
1: I've definitely gone to the point of sending a band a pair of kick pads uh, the Roland yeah. kick pads uh yeah because there was the guy they had was not capable of recording them very well and their drummer was going to need some heavy heavy editing
2: yeah
1: um and so we wanted them to record with kick pads so we sent them the kick pads and the yeah. funniest thing happened um <laughs> they <laughs> they hit me up and Said these kick pads aren't working. I think they're broken. Uh, they sound really crazy, <laughs> and uh, it turns out they were micing Miking
2: them up. Micing them up. <laughs> oh my God, oh, I, I can't hear anything. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, all right. Well, yeah. But that
1: kind of illustrates the point that does, if they don't yeah. know what they're doing, you can try to help, and sometimes yeah, it's still not going to do much. So they should try to bring at least someone in who knows the basics
3: yeah and the truth is as a band you you don't know what you're doing until you have a go at it and you know obviously this um was our first time reamping uh because uh, previous your last album was in the studio wasn't it yeah, yeah. We, we just recorded guitar tone straight to type before mm-hmm. yeah and and i i've done a little bit in the past and i um with previous projects but uh it's it's stuff that you don't realize until you make the mistake. You know, I remember the first time I recorded something, you know, that it was like uh, asked of me that the bass strings would change every, every like, song even, you know. And at the time, I was like, oh, I'm sure it's going to be all right. I'll, no, I'll it's leave. not. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave <laughs> it's it. It's not going like, to be all and right. Uh, and <laughs> the producer goes, Scott Atkins, come back to me and he's just like, man, did you change these strings? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, how many songs? And I was like... Maybe, maybe tuning is like, oh man, I'm going to be chasing bass tone all day, and it was just like at the end of it, it just it it cost me more, you know, because I didn't, because I thought, oh, it'll be fine, but obviously, you know that, you know, just listen to your producer because uh, they know what they're on about and you don't.
1: <laughs> Best way to know is uh, if you get to the end of a song when you're tracking bass and. The bass sounds completely different by the end than the beginning. Yeah, you probably should have changed your strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Once a year, in it, you know.
1: Once Just... a year, <laughs> that's fine. At least, you know. Yeah, maybe every two years. Do you make bass players change <laughs> strings every song?
2: If I can, but it's often something that if I say that, people will look at me really strange. You know, <laughs> and 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 be like, "What? That's so strange." Or, or I think. It, this is sometimes something that, that's going to start a weird argument, which is strange because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just here to get the best out of that. So if I can, yes, I would change at least the, the lowest tr- strings between each song. Mm. But, um, but bass players are often like, but that's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you have a budget and you went into the studio to make an album that's going to haunt you the rest of your life <laughs> if it's not going to sound great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. It's, you know, the big picture again. So, Hey,
1: everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multitracks to a new song by artists like of God, Opeth, Meshuggah, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song of the album— and takes your questions live on the air. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics. And Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multi-tracks cleared for use in your portfolio. So your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those who really, really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhanced, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, loan, and so forth. It's over 50 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, This stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-one office hours, sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes on a live video stream, fix it up, and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. If any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills and your audio career, head over to urm.academy slash enhanced to find out more. Those are some of the simple things that people can do when they don't have a huge budget. There's a bunch of simple things they can do to ensure that it's going to be a lot better, like get their guitar set up, have enough strings to be able to change them once per song, or at least as much as possible. Um, A few different pairs of drum heads, at least, and uh, sets, not pairs. And I realize that it adds up, but, like you said, it'll haunt you. It'll haunt you forever. And, you know, it's not like that stuff's going to add thousands and thousands more dollars. I mean, it adds up, but it's one, of th- it's a very simple thing you can do. Oh, yes. Uh, you don't need much knowledge to change strings. No. <laughs> um, capturing a DI is another super obvious one. I wanted to talk about vocals too, because. Uh, you know, on the Discarnate, like you guys said, it was an SM7B into a Focusrite, right?
4: Yeah. Interface. Yeah.
1: Bare bones. Um, and you got it sounding great. Yeah. And I've been in situations where, you know, that is workable. And I've watched plenty of people work with tracks like that and make them great. And the opposite as well, uh, where, it comes in with just an SM7B and a focus, right? And it sounds like garbage. So there's something else which, uh, you know, there's another factor at play. What kind of room did you guys record in and what steps did you take to treat it or not?
3: Yeah, it was just um, an old sort of uh, farmhouse with big stone walls and it was quite like a small like closet area that we just uh, completely put like mattresses in and and foamed and sound deadened and we had like a we had like a a vocal uh, you know like a a shield around the mic as well to try and make it as dead as possible because we just wanted to get the the cleanest tones vocally for Jacob it was quite hard to record like that because it was just very you know you could just hear every little bit of your voice uh whilst recording but again we just wanted to send it get the cleanest stuff we could
1: how much money did you invest in deadening the room
4: I think it was everything was we had already. Yeah, I just had some boards and stuff that he had from some previous work he'd done, and uh, yeah, a couple of mattresses. Yeah, just borrow or take your own.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I just (laughs) kind of wanted to dispel the myth that you need to spend a whole lot of money to deaden a room.
3: Oh no, no, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, plenty of records have been done in a room where mattresses went up, but it sounds like so you deaden the hell out of it and put. All your focus into the performance.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we were all kind of uh, we, like, I say, we run up a home studio. We were running Pro Tools, and we were just uh, running the vocal booth through into another room, and we had a PA set up so we could just talk back to each other. And and you know, when it was my turn to to record, you know, the the lads would be in there, we we'd be talking like producing it, like what we wanted the the, the sound to be, with the words and whatever. But yeah, just it was all just down to performance and just making sure that we were happy with it because once we sent it you know we weren't trying to rely on knowing that it was going to be you know altered it was just trying to make it the best it could possibly be before we sent it I think we've all sat through enough vocal sort of tracking sessions now as well to
5: know what you know what you've got to look for when you're tracking vocals and make sure all the you know sibilances and pronunciations and stuff are correct
4: yeah we were talking yesterday about or listening to yesterday about how uh you know you don't want the whole band there when often when a vocalist is recording you know because it's intimidating Mm -hmm. but that's something that we have actually always done whenever we've done vocals we've always had the other two members in there being part of the the process to get the best possible performance so we could do that on our own without someone else there and we knew what to look for what you know if there was mistakes in the vocal line if there were you know too many plosives and that kind of thing we knew okay we need to do that again because of this this that and the other you know.
5: And also, we'd only just finished writing the lyrics and, you know, putting them to the music as well. So throughout the whole thing, you know, regularly one of us would pipe up and say, you know, maybe we could try this slightly different rhythm in that section, you know, having... You, know, you, you just laid that down
3: and you know I'm now I'm hearing something else which could be could be worth a go you know so and when we and when we record vocals or write lyrics or whatever um because me and Tom have different style voices we we never we never go well I'll always do the verse or whatever we, we just sort of listen to the riff and see see what lyrics we've got for that point and, and try it out and see who what voice sounds better on that piece of music you know and you know work it out like that so we all we do all need each other really because matt writes a lot of the lyrics as well so he'll have a way that he wants it phrased you know or, or like you know, so yeah we we kind of do need all of us there really don't we
1: yeah sounds like a lot of thought went into it oh yeah <laughs> i think that jacob one of the things that you mentioned too was not just that the performance was great and that it was super clean but that it was edited well so it was crossfaded right because One of the things that you've noticed when you get some of these bare-bones productions is that there's bad crossfades and bad edits, which then make it hard for you to do what you need to do in order to make it sound like an expensive
2: production. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could tell that things were actually done right. It wasn't like, I didn't even, you know, when when I stopped thinking about all these uh, technical things and just mix that's the ideal situation, of course. Um, and this was one of those situations where everything that I got just worked right off, you know, right off the bat. Everything was sounding great and I could be creative with it. So I think, again, the the experience that the band had already, plus they, they brought in some guy that could help them with editing and whatnot. I, I believe you had you know, some help with that. You didn't do that yourself, right? For the
4: vocals we did all ourselves. All right. Yeah, yeah we did. Cool. I edited, we recorded all the vocals together, and then pretty much every day before we started, I'd wake up at like six a.m. and just sit there and just edit vocals. I actually Rope. find it quite therapeutic. So,
2: well, cool. So, yeah, but yeah, but you know what what to do and how to to make that work.
4: Yeah, yeah. We've got yeah. some basic knowledge of how to cut and edit things on Pro Tools. So, yeah, just aligning things and top chopping getting- and.
3: You're getting right into it toward the end because there was even certain, certain guitar bits that we'd had done with. Uh, like Tom was looking back over and go, "Oh, tweak that very slightly."
5: Yeah, and you know, three stuff. o'clock in the morning on deadline day, yeah. just going. I'm just going to spend another three hours on this.
1: <laughs> well, that's actually something that um, I do think bands should invest in if they don't know how. If you, they know how cool, but if you know they have a small budget um, and are wondering what to spend it on. Spending on someone that knows how to edit stuff properly, that's a good use of money. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Because that right there determines a lot about what you can do in the mix or not.
2: Totally. It's so
1: such an important thing. Yeah. So. You like to, you're not afraid to compress.
2: <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> and that'll bring up all kinds of weird
1: things. And then also, if it's recorded in a, like, one of the things you get in lower-budget recordings, too, was talking about the room, like, people will record in a room that's got weird flutters or just weird shit going on. And then, you know, when you compress the hell out of that, that weird room stuff obviously gets louder. Yeah. And you end up with a vocal that just
2: can't really fix too well. No, you're right. There are some tools that can take away some of that. Some. But it's it's not ideal and, it, and and it will change the sound of the vocals and it, it's gonna be basically a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> so So
1: another thing about the way it was delivered that I thought was rare was the quality of the bass track um, both in the playing and the way it sounded that's something where people screw up a lot um, you were talking about, Simplifying the bass lines. Yeah, um, Jacob, did you tune their bass at all?
2: um I think so. I probably did that because mm. that's something that I m- mostly always do. Because a bass is hard to keep in tune. Very hard. You know, it's it's always like that. It's uh, on the on the the attack. It's gonna be a little sharp, and then on the sustain notes, it's maybe gonna be a little flat. Oh, yeah. So it's it's always a little bit of a yeah. You have to figure out how to make that work and that's just normal it's not a huge problem really it's uh, it's just part of the bass and it's easy to fix really So, the, the thing though that isn't easy to fix is if the bass player
1: doesn't play hard or if the part doesn't actually support the low end so I think that something in that bass arrangement made your life a lot easier in the mix and that's something that Uh, You know, that's down at the production level and the arrangement level and the writing level. But, uh, you know, in metal, sometimes you'll have these bass players that, you know, when the guitar is playing a tremolo, they'll try to tremolo or something.
2: Um,
1: I mean, sometimes it works, but they don't think as the bass player being a functional instrument that we were having this chat with uh, Jacob when we were watching
3: the, the mix and I'm as guilty as that when, when we wrote the songs you know all the all the little treble bits on iron and everything I was replicating when we were you know because I played with my fingers normally um, and uh, just to kind of like because I felt that that's what I should play but it wasn't until we got to the studio that when we sat down with the the, the, the guitars and everything that you know it just kind of felt better to play with a pick and play hard and, and just play simplify it just to to keep the bass feeling at like a constant level, because as soon as you start trying to chuck in, especially on our music, he's trying to sh- chuck in some of the faster stuff and not having the consistency of the pick because y- your fingers aren't as hitting as hard, um, you know, we just really felt to to really simplify it. And, and, and since then, since the album's come back, I've changed the way I play certain songs because I want to have that album sound and not... You know, trying to overcomplicate it and it makes my life easier as well for vocals. So win-win, really. Plus, yeah. that,
5: that bass is always just there, like you know, almost backing up the guitars and providing the back end of the guitar tone. So you know, we we always allow the guitars. You know, and for example, in the you know groups of sixteenth, you know, guitar riffs like you know those bleed esque kind of riffs, allowing the guitar to really provide the you know the picking definition of the and having the bass just kind of. You know, hitting more of a da 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 dun da so that you really get the the tone of the bass note, and not just kind of you know the pick attack of it.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, when you play rhythms like that on bass, it just Muddy's. starts to blend together. Yeah. yeah, you can't even really hear the you can't even really hear all those notes. Um, so it sounds to me like the moral of the story is that from the ground up, uh, meaning from the writing to the arranging to the decisions of how to record certain parts, everything was done basically to optimize it. So, you know, like the bass was recorded in a way that supported everything else. Vocals were recorded in a way where you're not going to get a shitty room destroying the mix. The DI was clean enough so that Jacob could reamp and get a great tone. Uh, Drums were recorded in a way to where uh you know you don't have a horrible room getting all over everything ruining life Um, (laughs) making jacob want to drink himself under a table (laughs) is there anything else you want to add to that like for bands who are wanting to hire people such as yourself or other mixers and are recording it themselves and besides also get someone to help you who knows what they're doing
2: no, I think that's the how do you say that's the headline for this in some way that that you need to, you know, use your uh or find people who knows or who know about what what you know they, they you should find some people that knows how what they're doing because you can't know everything as a band, obviously. It's it makes sense that, that yeah, you know, you know, your songs and you know how to, you know, play them. But that that, you know, you need a Pro that knows about microphone choice, how far are you going to stand from the mic? You know, miking up a drum kit—if you, that's what what's going to happen. Um, there's so many things, and and I think that that's where the Discarnate Boys did—you know—they did very well there and choosing, they chose wisely there, really, and uh, and also the fact that they were actually. You know, they were really thinking about that. That's totally sweet music to my ears. When when El is saying that he 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 went, you know, from playing with his his fingers normally to playing this with a pick and and you know simplifying what he was supposed to play, just because he was thinking about you know the big picture. How how do we want the bass to sound in this? And I even remember us talking about you know, I think maybe the first test mix that i did was you know with with less insane bass in some way mm. and you went we want you know we really worked on the bass on yeah. on this album so we want that to be you know smashing your face in <laughs> And that's been one of the biggest things that we've had we've had lots of people
3: get in touch with us and how how we got our bass sound because for for the style of music and the there's a lot of people wanting to kind of re- replicate that which is amazing because you know considering that's uh you know something that you know we recorded or whatever it's uh but obviously testament to you because the yeah it's it's a really good bass tone. I've I've had a nightmare trying to replicate it live. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's yeah. a but it's a combo of things. It's I mean your chain is obviously a huge part of it, but you needed to have a track that you could yeah turn into. I mean that.
2: it starts it it sounds like a cliche, but it starts with the the bass tone and the player uh, of course because and and the choices that you made because I mean I. You know do the same thing over and over again for bass sound of course there are you know differences um how a bass should sound in in metal but still i I, I most of the times you know choose the same plugins for for the bass sound, but this sounded just so good because you put some thought into it you know and uh, that's important same
1: Sam for those guitar riffs um you know there's you know i'm sure we've all experienced this uh, where you have a guitar rig and one person hooks up to it and it sounds godly and then someone else plays through the same guitar through the same rig and it just it sounds like garbage cuz it all begins with that right hand and how the player approaches it and so focusing on those riffs and how they were played allowed you to, you know, in addition to the clean DI, allowed you to actually be able to get that monster tone. Yeah. Reamping. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you would have got in a good tone either way, but that one's especially awesome.
2: Yes, <laughs> and
1: thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So uh, just as far as the guitar tracks go, uh, what's your what are your thoughts about when you're recording rhythms? Uh, what are your thoughts about, Right hand, pick choice, how hard you're playing, all those types of things. What were you thinking about?
4: Definitely, uh, pick attack was a huge thing. Um, down to the you know the pick choice. I think I was using Ultex. 0.73 Dunlop picks, um, and that was actually a suggestion from the uh, from Stu from the studio. He was, said he's always used these picks and found that the attack was great. And so I started using those. And yeah, he was totally right. You know that we were AB in different picks, and that definitely came out with more attack, and um, especially on the tremolo notes, the so, you know, pick definition really came through.
1: Let me interrupt you for a second because a lot of guitar players I know are very very precious about their picks. Like I only use Tartex, or I only use this or that, which I think is really stupid. I mean. We all have our preferences, I get it. But I feel like any guitar player who wants a sick tone in the studio should be open to trying different picks yeah. because it's it's such a cheap way to massively change the tone.
4: Yeah, totally, yeah. And I mean I I was I was using other picks before we went into the studio, but only just because that was what I ended up using. I wasn't like, "Oh, this is the pick for me." It was just what I happened to be using, which something much thicker. I think I was using like two mil or three mil big stubbies, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, so, yeah, when he suggested these, I started using them, I was like, yeah, you're totally right. We can totally hear the difference in the pick attack. Um, And, uh, yeah, just other little things like not having the action too low on the guitar, you know, obviously for speed and things like that, having low action is usually comes hand in hand so you can move up and down the neck so quickly. But pretty much all of our music is rhythm-based riffs. So, you know, you raise the action up a little bit, you're going to get much less string buzz, you're going to get a lot more resonance, And that really helped bring out some of the bigger chords and that kind of thing. And just um, yeah, really digging into the really digging into the strings on the right hand, play as hard as you can because with stuff like palm mutes, you know, you're gonna get much more sort of cab swell on the low chugs and all that kind of thing. So just trying to yeah, those those sort of things, really trying to think about how how can you make the riff as heavy as possible by yeah, really digging in.
5: Plus he'll spend like, you know, an extra three hours like trying to downpick something which is impossible if he knows it will make it sound zero point zero two (laughs) percent better.
3: Good, <laughs> good. I'm but it's glad. not only really recording, like, Tom live, he's just, he hammers the guitar, you know, it's like, uh, it's quite quite cool to see, you know, it's, it, it's just proper, like, digging right in to, like, get that huge sound, because there's only one guitarist, you know, so it's kind of like, got to make it count, really, you know. It's like death metal Hetfield.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is that it's not a coincidence that the sound is that huge, and you guys focus that hard on, on playing, you know, playing really hard and really precise and making the parts exactly what they need to be to sound big there's what we call or at least i call them tone riffs there's just certain riffs that lend themselves to sounding great and it's kind of like yesterday when you were dialing on the amaranth mix there was a certain riff that you kept looping during the guitar tone part and that's totally a tone riff because there's just something about it that makes makes a guitar cab sing and focusing on that kind of stuff you don't need a budget to focus on that kind of stuff I think that makes all the difference in the world so I think we're pretty much out of time is there anything anyone wants to add?
4: I think that covers most stuff from our side of things yeah, yeah. thanks for having us on Yeah. yeah thanks for nailing yeah. the mix
3: Jacob yeah. we awesome <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you thank you This episode of the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast has been brought to you by Telefunken Electroacoustic Telefunken Electroacoustic has been following the tradition of excellence and innovation set forth by the original Telefunken GmbH of Germany that began over 100 years ago with one foot rooted in the rich history of the brand and the other in new microphone innovations for both stage and studio applications. Telefunken Electroacoustic is recognized as one of the industry leaders in top quality microphones. For more info, go to t-funk.com. If you like the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast, make sure you leave us a review, subscribe, and send us a message if you
2: want to get in touch.